From the back kitchen window of his little house on a ridge in east central Pennsylvania, John Lotkitz looks out at the most unusual prospect. Just uphill, at the edge of the local cemetery, the earth is ablaze. Vegetation has been obliterated along the quarter-mile strip. Sulfurous streams of smoke billow out of hundreds of holes in the mud. There are pits extending perhaps 20 feet down. In their depths, discarded plastic bottles and tires have melted. Dead trees with their trunks bleached white lie in tangled heaps, their stumps now venting smoke through the hollowed centers. This hellish landscape is all that remains of a once thriving town in Pennsylvania. Welcome to its history. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and today we explore the history of America's burning ghost town. Coal mining began in Pennsylvania in the mid-1700s at Coal Hill, present-day Mount Washington, just outside of Pittsburgh, where the coal was extracted from outcrops along the hillside and transported by canoe to the nearby military garrison at Fort Pitt. By 1830, the city of Pittsburgh, known then as Smoke City, consumed more than 400 tons of coal per day. And as this might sound impressive on a local scale, the mining that would ensue over the coming centuries to serve a more national demand was far more significant. During the past 200 years, over 10 billion tons of coal has been mined in 21 Pennsylvania counties, equaling approximately one-fourth of all the coal ever mined in the United States. One prevalent industry mining center was Centralia, Pennsylvania, located on top of one of the world's largest coal deposits. Population grew as the mining industry notoriously attracted immigrants from Europe. Centralia was no exclusion. During the 1860s, the town was even home to members of the Molly Maguires, a secret society from Ireland that made its way to America coal mines along with the Irish immigrants. In the late 1860s, the Molly Maguires are suspected of having committed a crime wave in Centralia, from the murder of the town's founder, Alexander Ray, to the death of the area's first priest. Some believed that the Mollies were guilty, while others claimed that they were framed by owners of the mine who feared that they would organize the workers into unions. However, after a brutal attempt to subdue the Mollies and the execution of some of the group's suspected leaders in 1877, the crimes were ended. In many ways, Centralia was a typical mining town, but by the mid-1900s, when demand for coal dropped and many of Pennsylvania's mines were abandoned, Centralia faced a far more dramatic fate when the mine under the town was set ablaze. Who or how the fire was started is a matter of debate, but most people agree on the following narrative. On May the 7th, 1962, the Centralia Council met to discuss approaching Memorial Day and how the town would go about cleaning up their landfill, which was introduced earlier that year. The 300-foot-wide, 75-foot-long pit was made up of a 50-foot-deep strip mine that had been cleared in 1935 and came very close to the northeast corner of Old Fellows Cemetery. At the time, there were eight illegal dumps in Centralia, and the council's intention of creating a landfill was to stop the illegal dumping. Trustees at the cemetery were opposed to the landfill's proximity to the cemetery, but recognized the illegal dumping elsewhere had become a serious problem of the town, and hoped that the new pit would resolve it. 
Pennsylvania had passed a precautionary law back in 1956 to regulate landfill use in strip mines, as landfills were known causes of mine fires. In this case, concerns that the landfill cut through older mines underneath prompted authorities to require a filling with an incombustible material. However, as the town fell behind schedule, the fireproof barrier was incomplete, and this was a critical error that would lead to the demise of Centralia. The fire probably started in May 1962, when local waste management workers began burning trash at the site of an old mine entrance just outside of town, igniting the underlying coal via an on-scene opening in the trash pit. Consequently, the fire penetrated a primary vein of coal, creating an inexhaustible subterranean inferno. This is the widely accepted hypothesis on how the fire started, but there are other theories, one of which is called the blast theory. According to local legend, a blast fire set off by explosion in 1932 was never fully extinguished. However, one man, who claimed he operated a bootleg mine with his brother in the vicinity of the landfill between 1960 and 1962, pointed out that if the 32 fire had never been extinguished, he and his brother would have surely been killed by the gases. Centralia Councilman Joseph Tai had a different take. He theorized that the Centralia coal fire was actually started by an adjacent coal steam fire that had been burning west of the town. And finally, there are claims that spontaneous combustion started the fire around June the 25th, 1962, during a period of unusually hot weather. Regardless of what theory you adhere to, one fact is undisputable. Dangerous gases had become the town's newest occupant, and the fight began. Over 20 years, firefighters attempted eight times to put the fire out. First, they dug trenches, but the fire outpaced them. Then, they attempted flushing, a process that involves inserting holes into or ahead of a fire, and then pouring down wet sand, gravel, slurries of cement and fly ash to cut off oxygen. Generally speaking, flushing nearly always fails because of the difficulty of filling every pore space. Besides, because coal fires can exceed 1000 degrees Fahrenheit, most fill material burns away, leaving more gaps. For both of these reasons, the flushing attempt did not succeed. Next, state and federal geologists drilled hundreds of exploratory boreholes to define the fire. Then, a huge trench was dug across its supposed path, but it was too late. The fire had already spread beyond the trench. Some critics even believed that the digging actually helped ventilate the fire. Flooding the area with water was flat out rejected. It is nearly impossible to inundate a large underground area, especially one as complex and well-drained as Centralia. In any case, water would have had to be pumped in for years to dissipate the fire's heat. A final solution, to dig a pit three-quarters of a mile long and as deep as a 45-story building would have cost $660 million, an amount higher than the sum total of Centralia's entire combined property value. So that too was rejected. The reaction of the locals was interesting. 
When the fire first reached the town's edge, it was met with a zest of curiosity. Resident Kathy Godinsky recalls harvesting tomatoes at Christmas from her naturally heated garden, and some residents took pleasure in the fact that they no longer needed to shovel snow in the winter. But the fun and games ended fast when residents began passing out in their own homes from the carbon monoxide leaking in through their basements. And just when the alarm bells started ringing, three additional very significant events took place, altering the trajectory of Centralia forever. Underground gas tanks at Coddington's SO gas station exploded due to underground heat. Route 61, the main road into town, dropped eight feet and steam poured out of cracks in the pavement. Then, dramatically, in 1982, 12-year-old boy named Todd Dombowski was crossing through a backyard when an 80-foot sinkhole opened up and his mother from the window witnessed him vanish into a cloud of gas. The boy only evaded death by clinging onto tree roots until his cousin could pull him out. After that, just about everyone in Centralia accepted the most radical solution of all, letting the mine burn. The U.S. government ordered a total evacuation of the town, and in a relatively short period, most residents accepted a federal buyout and moved to neighboring areas. More than 600 buildings were demolished, yet some people fought to stay behind, preferring to live in noxious gas than to leave the only place they had ever considered home. In 1992, the governor put the entire town under eminent domain, and in 2001, the state took away the zip code. 2009 saw the governor announce that holdouts would be evacuated for their own good, but he underestimated the passion for which the final residents had for their dying town. And in 2013, after 20 years of legal battles, the remaining 10 residents were allowed to stay in their homes for the rest of their natural lives. But once they were gone, their homes would go to the public domain. When residents speak about life in the ghost town today, it sounds eerie. Probably the scariest thing about living in Centralia after the fire are the sinkholes. You need to watch your step, especially in the woods, because the ground could give way in any moment. According to one resident, every once in a while, you'll come across a deer sticking out vertically with smoke billowing out through its mouth. And although they look as if they were crawling out, the poor deer had fallen into a sinkhole and had either starved to death or suffocated to death from the fumes. There was also an instance of an untimely passing of a resident's cat, as recalled by a former resident known as Becky. We were swinging in the backyard, and this patch of grass suddenly turned brown. Their cat was standing there, and suddenly it became brown. It didn't make any noise, and we thought she had done something to make it all suddenly brown like flipping a sheet over, but it was just another hole, and the cat went down. I didn't say anything until we jumped over the fence to see that it was another sinkhole, and we called out for our neighbor, but after some light digging, her cat was gone. Today, Centralia exists only as an eerie grid of streets. Its driveways disappear into vacant lots, and because the town has no zip code, its final residents can't receive mail. Even something as trivial as pizza delivery is next to impossible when you don't have a zip code. Probably the largest state acknowledgement of this as a residential space is the $4,000 budget allotted to cover maintenance costs, including the clearance of snow. One example of the town's spirit in spite of these setbacks happens at Christmas. 
when a few former residents returned to set up a manger scene. Perhaps one upside is that since no one owns property, no one pays property tax. The ghost town has become wildly popular after appearing as the inspiration for Silent Hill, drawing thousands of tourists. But unfortunately, tourism mostly benefited neighboring towns. Since the state won't issue new business permits in Centralia, the places selling souvenirs, gasoline, and lodgings are all outside of Centralia's former borders. Since the tourists don't bring money into the town, residents have come to despise them, asserting that they'll walk on lawns or property freely, thinking it's abandoned. They'll always be asking, why do you live here? They'll dump trash everywhere. Then, worst of all, are the tourists who leave graffiti. For those seeking to experience this unique history firsthand, not much actually remains, and the area is still considered to be very dangerous. Until recently, Route 61, dubbed Graffiti Highway, was a popular tourist attraction for visitors, but as a result of accidents and unruly activities, the state has buried it for good, and police forbade anyone from visiting. The cemetery is still active, and new burials of former residents occasionally take place. The assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary Ukrainian Catholic Church still gives occasional masses. The municipal building still stands, although the name Centralia has been removed. And obviously, occasional fragments of foundation, sidewalks, road curbs do indeed stand out. Just enough for one to understand that Centralia was once a place called home by many. In 2014, current and former residents opened a time capsule from 1966. Although badly damaged, the capsule contained books, photos, and documents. One former resident said that it held great meaning to those Centralians still alive. These moments of sentimentality are few and far between. With the fire burning and generations fading, it's only a matter of time until all that's left of Centralia is ash. Having had the personal pleasure of visiting the ghost town some years back when filming for my channel Cult America, I'd actually make the case that in comparison to the countless other post-industrial, poverty-stricken towns that I saw along the road, Centralia's memory has been enshrined in mystique and legend, a reputation that will most probably go on long after the fire goes out, a reputation as America's most famous burning ghost town. Thanks for watching its history. Make sure you click subscribe, check out all of our other videos, and contribute to our Patreon.